listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of ESL Talk. I'm Faye. And I'm Daniel. Today, we're looking at the topic of translation and interpretation for the ESL classroom. Not only does translation play a huge role in the processing of the English language, but how it is interpreted is also important, too. It is indeed. And with the Olympics now coming to a close, we're joined by our special guest, Asil, who is a sports interpreter and translator from Russia. Um, she'll share and highlight the importance of translation, as well as how this could be applied to the ESL classroom. Yeah, that's great. So, Daniel, this is a topic we've touched on slightly on episode 12, but here we're focusing more on translation and how it is interpreted by learners as well, right? Yeah, we are. So, um, Faye, I know you've kind of mentioned this a little bit before, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever worked with translation while you were in Brazil? Yeah, actually, when I um, had just started out teaching, I also got approached by a couple of people because, like, uh, I guess most people know now, I was born in Brazil and learned English there, but I was fluent, uh, native-like fluent, let's say, very early, and it was kind of hard for people to find others to do translation work for them. So I actually started doing some translation work. I never did interpretation, nothing like live, but just written translation work uh, for actually for a lot of doctors, because my father uh, is a doctor, and I translated a few of his uh, journal articles, and then for his colleagues as well, which was incredibly challenging, very niche and very um, specific vocabulary. But luckily, Portuguese is a Latin based language. So a lot of the terms come from Latin for for this field. So that made it a little bit easier. Um, now, what about for you, Daniel, have you ever in terms of teaching experienced classrooms? where translation was used or methodologies using translation? Yeah, um, when I was teaching in South Korea, my, I guess my initial teaching roles that I did out there, um, it was always taught with a Korean co-teacher. So mm. a little bit of translation was used. It would depend on the ability of the students and it would depend on who I was teaching with. 
some of my co-teachers were very hands-on. They wanted to be really involved. So they would try to only use Korean when it was necessary or just to kind of explain some concepts because the ability of the students was really low. Um, so that was kind of useful at the middle school and high school level where we're doing more technical tasks or maybe mm -hmm. activities that have different processes to them. So that was really useful. Um, however, I also worked in an elementary school for two years and my co-teachers there were more just kind of like hands off and they were like, oh, it'll be great for the students to just listen to your voice. So yeah, yeah. they played the role more of like just keeping the students in line, making sure they're sat in the right place and that they're focused, which was fine. So it kind mm -hmm. of works both ways. Mm -hmm. um, so and I, I sometimes as well would mix in and I do still now mix in a little bit of Korean with my students who I'm teaching, maybe the younger ones um, mm. or whatever language it might be. It might be Portuguese or mm -hmm. um, Mandarin Chinese or whatever it is. I might just throw that in just now and again if I have to um, just to help. But what about you? What's your experience with this kind of environment? There, in, you know, in, back in Brazil, there were lots of schools, really big chains that whose methodology was the, the grammar translation method still, which is like from the 70s, right, where you mm -hmm. basically say a sentence in Portuguese and the students have to repeat it back to you in English. And then you say the sentence in English, the students have to repeat it back to you in, in Portuguese. And I'm not a huge fan of that method because that's not mm -hmm. how our brain works. That's not how we communicate. And what ends mm -hmm. up happening is you have students who always have that five second delay in their interactions because they listen and then they try to translate to Portuguese and then they translate what they want to say back to English. And it's just, it, it's, it's very, um, it's counterproductive, I find. Mm -hmm. And when I was actually looking for teaching positions, I purposely stayed away from those types of schools because it's really not, it's, it kind of goes against what I believe in terms of teaching. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it, it can have its value. Like some translation can can be, right. be helpful in, in yeah. some ways. Do you think um, this kind of strategy, like translation can be useful for students who are trying to learn English or... Do you think immersion only should be the way to go? Uh, again, I'm going to use the, the kind of the blanket answer. It depends on the student. Um, yeah. I think if you have very young students who are just learning English, they're just getting familiar with it, then I think you have to help them slightly because mm -hmm. I, I've been in an immersion situation where I was learning Korean and it was no English, virtually zero. There was very, very minimal English. So it, it was really difficult because you're like, Where's uh -huh. my safety net? Where's my structure? Where's my support? Um, right. And I think I learned more quickly in an immersion setting, but a lot more things didn't make sense or I didn't yeah. understand or I couldn't, I didn't have a reference point for them. Um, it's more so, stressful too, right? Because you feel yeah. like you don't know anything that's happening. <laughs> and as you mentioned before, um, you know, with a lot of students I've worked with, um, Chinese students, Korean students, Japanese students, uh, Iranian students, Brazilian students, they, like you said, they tend to just process it in the first language, then regurgitate mm -hmm. it in English. And then that comes with all the different grammar errors, tense errors, pronoun errors as well connected. Exactly. So because right. they're not thinking in English, they're making a lot more errors. So yeah. I always try to teach my students to think in English. It's as easy as it sounds. Right. I know it isn't, but <laughs> I know. What are your thoughts on this? No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, uh, I mean, as a learner, yeah, we, 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 we can, um, understand how students feel because you do feel lost um, if you don't have any knowledge of the language and then you're suddenly thrown in the deep end and you have to understand what the teacher is saying. I mean, I did have a student once, I remember I was teaching elementary level, which was has never really been my comfort zone, but there was a student from uh, Saudi Arabia 
with uh, whose English I would say was not even zero. It was like, it was, was real. I never had a student with this level of English before. And I was trying to explain the word picture to him. We were doing an exercise where you describe the picture. And, you know, how do you explain the word picture? You point to a picture on the wall, right? So I pointed to this picture on the wall of like a forest and I showed, I pointed to that and I said, this is, this is a picture. And then there was a tree on, in the course book we were using and on the page. And he's like, oh, okay, picture, picture, pointing to the tree. And I'm like, oh, I think he thinks picture is tree. So then I pointed to the other picture on the wall, I'm like picture. And he's like, what? So to make a long story short, I ended up buying him an English Arabic uh, dictionary. Mm -hmm. And I actually encouraged him to translate some of the keywords because he had no way of understanding. I mean, he could learn it, but it would take him so long to get there, especially for those words. So that was a bit of, uh, I'd say like a humbling experience for me because I've always been a huge proponent of immersion only. Mm -hmm. But once we're adults and there's so many pressures and we have all of these filters already and we already feel we, we already feel stressed out about learning a language, you feel like you're a child again, you know, and it doesn't help if they're this stressed out and they don't have the support. So I do now believe that in certain situations at lower levels, like you said, when you're just starting out learning Korean or something, some translation can be helpful. Um, but I also don't think it should be of what students, uh, let's say, lean into and what they count on, because it will end right. up hindering their communication, right? So with your courses and the materials that you've been developing recently for Instagram, things like that, mm -hmm. how do you help your students to interpret or understand the vocabulary or the material that you're trying to get across? Is it subtitles? Is it pictures? Is it, mm -hmm. you know, breaking it, breaking words down into chunks? Is it all of those things? Well, I think that with, especially because now I'm focusing on video uh, content, I think it really helps to use body language, facial expressions, gestures. And now with technology and like, especially with Instagram and stuff like that, you can add uh, little GIFs or GIFs, whatever you want to call it, or a picture or something, you know, or, or an emoji or whatever, um, just to illustrate your point. It's just so much easier. Instead, in the past, I remember when I started teaching, I would print like, countless flashcards and laminate them and reuse them. And I had a box of flashcards. You probably went through that too. Right. And I think just making it visual, that's how we can mm. get around that. What do you think? What are some of your yeah, ways of um, doing that? I, I think visuals are probably the best way to do that, to get your, to get your picture across. No, no pun intended, but um, <laughs> I think, yeah, definitely um, images, videos are really useful. Sounds, if it's something quite simple, can be really useful yep. as well. Um, because what, what I always want to try to teach my, my older students is context, um, and linking a word or oh, a phrase yeah. or an expression with a place. I think that really helps our situation. Mm. So I would definitely say, um, sounds, videos, images, um, if it's longer words or phrases, connecting them to an experience that a student's had. So I'm mm. like, oh, in this situation, you can say this, or in this situation, right. you could say that. Um, that's really useful that I found because then they can tie to something. So when they're in that situation, mm -hmm. they can think, oh, I know what to say or I know yeah. what question to ask. Um, so I think that's really important as well. And sometimes when, because again, I have some students, it, it's wonderful where they still think or they're still speaking in their first language and I can hear that. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, and I, and I asked them, so what's your process? So identifying the process as well can be really nice to break down the steps and try to break down those steps in English um, as well. Yeah. So that, those are some yeah, yeah. strategies that I use as well. 
All right, so now we're going to move on to the interview portion of today's podcast. We're going to introduce our guest, Asel. So let's go over to today's interview. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Asel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're really happy to have you here. Hi, Faye. I'm really glad to be here and thanks for inviting me. Great. Well, first of all, we'd love to know, um, how did you get started in translation? Like, what was your initial motivation to work in this area? Um, when I was a school student, I was interested both in sports and languages. And I was learning French and English at that time. And mm. I also used to play basketball. So mm. there were my two passions and I wanted to combine them. So that way I found a perfect area for me, sports translation. Mm. And I also liked the emotions that I saw from athletes when they were, I don't know, winning their games and uh, gaining their trophies. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that's the best feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It sounds like a very fulfilling um, profession. So yeah. as you said, you, you specialize in, in sports uh, translation, translation for sport. How do you break into, or how do you kind of get into that field of, of work? Cause it sounds quite specialist and quite niche. Yeah. It, it all started in my, in my childhood. I used to come after school, I wanted to watch cartoons like all children. And then my dad would come after his work and he saw me watch cartoons. And he said, why don't you watch real stuff like sports? And Mm -hmm. he used to turn on, yeah, sports channels and I didn't want to watch them. Uh, but I decided to stay and that's how it all started 
and yeah, I started to love sports and um, at university, um, there were different types of translation because I studied linguistics and translation. Mm -hmm. And we had different fields like medical translation, sports translation, or translation in general. And I realized that sports would be the best area for me. Oh, so that's yeah. interesting. So there was actually a, a focus in your translation course just for sports. Yes. Yeah. It's oh, really wow. amazing. You had so much choice. Usually it's just kind of a, a general kind of catch-all course, mm -hmm. but that's great mm -hmm. that you had that variety. That's really awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that was really cool. And you also run a pretty successful Instagram account teaching sports vocabulary to people from all over the world, not necessarily because you're originally from Russia, right? Yes, but I yes. think your audience is from all over the world learning vocabulary with you. Do you also teach English or is that something you just wanted to do on Instagram? Um, yeah, it's something I wanted to do on Instagram because I wanted to, you know, broaden the sports area because there aren't many pages on Instagram that teach sports English. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's actually not easy to grow on Instagram because when you have a specific area, there aren't many people that are interested in sports mm -hmm. than in general English. And yeah, um, sometimes, yeah, I, I do teach English, but it's not my full-time job. Mm. And okay. yeah, half of my students are actually athletes. Oh. And yeah, that's uh, also a combination of sports and English. Mm. Uh, yeah and I also have a friend she went to the Olympics she's at in Tokyo right now mm. uh, she's playing for for our team water polo team um, nice. yeah so yeah that's um, and you helped her with I guess with some of the language or yeah yeah she was learning water polo vocabulary oh. so <laughs> So when it comes to translation, so what are the aspects of translation that are the most enjoyable and what are the most difficult aspects for you? I guess the most enjoyable aspects are learning about sports, um, talking, because when you're interpreting, you're talking all the time and getting to know new people because mm -hmm. like five or 10 minutes before going onto the stage, you have to get to know the person uh, to know a little bit of his background or what he's doing like what he does in his life and stuff mm -hmm. and um, I guess uh, the most difficult is when people use idioms that don't exist in another language mm -hmm. and it's but that's yeah, very common it's very because yeah you don't have a choice you just translate the meaning and mm. you can't, you know, use the idiom that exists in English or in Russian mm. or in French because I speak French as well. Mm. And uh, yeah, uh, sometimes there are people that realize that interpretation is very difficult and mm -hmm. they can, you know, say like one or two sentences, they wait for you, you translate, mm -hmm. you interpret, and then, yeah. But sometimes there are people that talk a lot, like 10 sentences, and you're, oh my God, 
And yeah, and uh, you're, yeah, you freak out because half of yeah. the sentences just disappear and mm -hmm. uh, you have to, yeah, you just um, translate the general meaning of what the yeah. person says. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, um, I guess that's the most difficult part. Of yeah, that sounds, sounds kind like of it. stressful. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, you just reminded me now of, especially in, in soccer and football, there's a lot of those kind of things, a lot of cliches and there's actually the team that I support, the team that I follow, their manager has a translator and he will say mm -hmm. something really long and very complicated and the translator will just say, yes, he's very happy. But he didn't say that. It's just, <laughs> it's not possible to put that into, into English, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so challenging. Yeah, that's what we were taught at the university. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Just so... give the general message, I guess. Yes, yeah, that kind yes, of ties yes. into uh, the question I have for you because... I mean, languages are very tied in with culture, right? And do you find that there are a lot of these cultural differences between like Russian and English or Russian and French? And how does the, the cultural difference affect your work in terms of uh, the translation? Because there are idioms, but they're also, I guess, intonation and jokes and things like that. Yes, especially when we have an official dinner after a competition. There are mm. people who, yeah, like to tell different stories and they use a lot of jokes that people of other cultures won't understand mm -hmm. and in order to bring the balance you're looking you look for different words or idioms in another language that will you know um, have the, the same meaning but just same effect kind of yeah yes mm -hmm. yes uh, there aren't many cultural differences. Most of them are connected or related to grammatics, mm. like gender, because in Russian we have three genders, mm. or sentence structure, um, or when I'm interpreting, I should wait for the whole sentence to see what they mean. Because yeah. in Russian, yeah, it's free. Like you can put a verb first or an adverb, whatever. Mm. Yes, it's not fixed at all. And when I translate to English, I wait for the Russian sentence because I can't start the English sentence with the Russian order. So uh, that's, yeah, really that's interesting. The, yeah, that's, that's very interesting to uh, interpret. The main thing is that you have to know your vocabulary and the mm -hmm. sport you're in. Yeah, because every mm. time we have different sporting events and mm -hmm. yeah, it depends on the sports. Mm, for example, when we have technical meetings and they, uh, for example, ski world championship and they discuss the tracks, the length of tracks, the, I don't know, technical characteristics of skis. And uh, yeah, wow. if you don't know this area, you're, yeah, you're just sitting there knowing nothing. Yeah. And you can can't, yeah, you can't translate anything. Sounds and, like you have uh, to be a real uh, expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's why, yeah, if I'm not familiar with, the, with any sport, with, for example, I don't know, in two weeks, we're having billiards world championship. Oh. And to be honest, I don't know anything about billiards, so I should, yeah, get familiar. <laughs> to study, yeah, yeah, a lot. And wow. yeah, if we have it now, I wouldn't translate anything because mm -hmm. I just don't know what that sport is. But mm -hmm. as for skiing or ice hockey, yeah, 
And I'm also one of the announcers when we have ice hockey games. So, mm. oh, cool. Yeah. Really cool. So, Let's really dig down now, see if, if you can define, because our listeners probably don't know, what exactly are the differences between translation and interpretation? What are the characteristics mm -hmm. that make them different from each other? Um, the key difference between translation and interpretation is that um, interpreters, they translate everything in spoken language and translators translate everything in written language. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, interpretation is an oral form of, tr of translation mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, translation is the written form. And also there is not only just a word interpretation, you have a consecutive when you translate uh, with two or three second gap, you're waiting mm -hmm. for the person. Yeah. And you translate everything uh, after mm -hmm. It seems like these these words are interchanged and they're quite flexible because you you hear one person is a translator but they're doing oral interpretation, interpretation. whereas someone's interpreting yeah. and translating. So I see that I think there's a little bit of confusion there. Yeah, that's 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 right. And uh, a person should know the difference if they, you know, make um, if they want to order a service of translation or interpretation. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. sometimes there is a min misunderstanding. Yes, it's mm -hmm. important to yeah know the difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, in what ways do you think that translation can be helpful or useful for the ESL classroom? Um, I guess it can be useful when um, students can compare two texts um, mm. in English or in Russian, for example, and um, uh, they can see the sentence structure, the word order, and see what idioms or phrases are used. Mm. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, that's um, that's very practical during the lessons. Okay. Do you find that it helps um, students if they're just like hearing something and then they try to translate to Russian and then translate it back to English? Yes. Do, do you have students who do that? And does that help them, you think? Um, uh, when I work, uh, when I teach athletes, yeah, I mm. give some sentences, yes, that are related to their sport. And they, I always try to make some sort of press conference. For mm. example, they are famous athletes and I'm the, and I'm one of the journalists and mm -hmm. I ask questions about their future career or their mm -hmm. plans yeah and they try to answer or i just give the sentence in russian it's really interesting to me yeah it sounds like you had to study a lot to master this uh, skill but often we have students who want to speak english but also translate and it seems like it's a lot um a lot to do right to become oh, yeah. being a translator is a is a is a profession right so yes because you also something have to, different yeah you also have to have a um, you know cultural background to know mm -hmm. a lot of cultural differences because sometimes you can just misinterpret and that would lead to some catastrophe right and conflict between countries yeah yeah and sometimes true. yeah uh there are people that are talking to each other 
and uh, they don't know some, you know, cultural aspects. And uh, sometimes I see the conflict that is coming up and mm. I just, yeah, try to balance it. Yeah. Wow, just because yeah. they use different words that have different yeah. connotations. And mm -hmm. yeah. I have to be careful, I think, sometimes. You, yeah. And again, maybe sometimes for you, when you're translating something, you have to stop yourself and think, no, don't say that. It might sound strange or it might yeah. sound a little bit rude even in the other language. Yes, that's, yeah. that's the, the most awful part, especially right. when you're on stage. Mm -hmm. You're in front of hundreds of people, especially wow. in the opening ceremony or closing ceremony. Yeah, that's the most stressful part of my job. Wow. So, when it comes to actually teaching students and helping students, what are some strategies, what are some methods that we can use um, that are going to help students when it comes to translating or interpreting things between languages? Um, I can suggest a game that we were, that we used to play at university that our teacher gave us to play. Um, our teacher gave us a sentence and the first student had to repeat it and translate it. Then mm. the second student would repeat the sentence of the first pe person and he was given another sentence. So he had two sentences to repeat and to translate. And the third mm. person like, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it was, yeah, it's called a snowball. Mm. And uh, you can imagine the last person that had to repeat like 15 sentences <laughs> and mm -hmm. interpret, yeah, and interpret all of them. And uh, we had a lot of games like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also had a pretty rough game when uh, our teacher asked us something. And uh, if she didn't hear any answer, like uh, in 10 seconds, she would make us dance some ballet because she would, she was teaching ballet too. <laughs> oh yeah. That was really crazy, uh, but it was really helpful. And uh, oh, that's we learned, good. to work under yeah. pressure, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we learned, yeah, not to keep silence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we had, yeah, different games on building vocabulary. We would mm -hmm. ask questions each other or interview each other. Or we also had to explain a word, a word to a person like he's five years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we had to explain or describe it like in really easy words. Mm. And she That's would, a good yeah, one. Yeah. She would see yeah. if we can explain a word like what is a mm -hmm. microwave? Yeah, and you mm -hmm. should explain it. Like, it's a box. Yes, I guess that's you, good because you might not yeah. have the word in, in a certain language, right? So you need to know yes. how to deal with those situations. Yes, that's, mm. yeah, that's right. She would often give us word that, words that, are, that don't exist in another language. Mm. Of course, they are related to cultural stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it just sounds like the message is have fun with it experiment make mistakes and try to learn as you go and learn to work under pressure and then you'll start to hopefully get more confident i think a lot of it comes down to confidence right and kind of experimentation yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's true mm -hmm. that's great great wonderful so um how how can our listeners connect with you um if they want to find you on our in, on instagram or contact you directly 
Oh uh, yeah, you, they can find me on Instagram. I'm always ab- available twenty four seven. English and sports. I also mm-hmm. have a f- page in f- uh, on Facebook, but I mm-hmm. yeah, I don't post that much there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm always ab- available on Instagram. So it's just English and sports, right? That they yeah. can find you with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our chat. Thanks everyone for listening to our episode today. Yep. As always, remember to subscribe to receive the latest episodes each Wednesday. You can follow us on Instagram at ESL Talk Podcast, or you can send us an email to esltalkpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And you can find me and communicate with me directly on Instagram at learning with Faye. Faye is F-E-Y. Or I'm Daniel Teacher. Uh, That's it for today's episode of ESL Talk. Remember to tune in again next week for another new episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes and to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for even more ESL teaching content. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.